Someone has well said that bitterness is like pouring acid on yourself and waiting for the other person to hurt. That's sad, but it's true. If anyone had reason to be bitter, it was the Apostle Paul. So many unjust, unfair, difficult things happened in the man's life. If anyone had reason to be bitter, it was Paul. But his life was actually characterized by joy. If you are not already there, please turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1 as we resume our consideration of this text we have been considering. Verses 3 through 8 form the unit of thought we have been looking at for the last two weeks, so please follow along as I read those verses for us this morning. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Here in these verses, Paul delineates some of the things that contributed to his joy. Now this is not an exhaustive list, but certainly what we have recorded here are some of the keys to joy in Paul's life. We have looked at four of them. Number one, the heart of joy focuses on the good things that God has wrought in the lives of other believers. Paul said in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The key words are every remembrance. And then in verse 4, Paul says, making requests for you all with joy. Now, how could Paul say, I have a joyful memory of all of you? Were these perfect people? No. In fact, notice the suggestions of disunity in this letter. At the end of chapter 1, in verse 27, Paul says this, Whatever happens to me, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul exhorts them to unity. Why? Well, we find out as this letter unfolds. It wasn't just a uh, sort of a precaution. He does this because the seeds of disunity were beginning to crop up in this church. Chapter 2, he says this, verse 1, If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind, this attitude, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Later in this second chapter in verse 14, he tells them, Do all things without complaining and disputing, or without grumbling and arguing. And then just in case they hadn't got it by the time he gets to chapter 4, notice how specific Paul is in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, these were not perfect people. They had problems. They had weaknesses. They had shortcomings. There was a potential for disunity to continue to grow. They had flaws. And the natural tendency is to focus your mind on those things. But when you set your attention on those things, beloved, you forfeit joy. Paul could rejoice because he had allowed the Spirit of God to erase any bad memories of the past. And instead of focusing on the bad things, Paul had a reservoir of good memories about God's people that brought him joy as he reflected on them. So that was one of Paul's keys to joy. Number two, Paul found joy by losing his problems in a selfless concern for the spiritual well-being of others to the point of praying for them. He says in chapter 1, verse 4, He says, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. Paul was so interested in the lives of others, he could set aside his own problems as significant as they were. Now remember, when Paul writes this letter, he's he's been a prisoner for maybe close to five years, unjustly. He has a trial coming up before Caesar. He doesn't know which way that's going to turn out. Paul had significant problems. But he could set aside his own problems, as significant as they were, to seek to be an encouragement to other people and to pray for them, and that gave him joy. He lost his own problems in a selfless concern for others. Number three, a third key of joy in Paul's life. Paul found joy in serving Christ in partnership with other people so that as a result he experienced sweet fellowship. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's fellowship with other believers was a byproduct of serving Christ in partnership with those believers. Paul found sweet fellowship in other believers or with other believers who had a common goal and a common vision. Number four in our list Paul found joy in his confidence in the faithfulness of God to complete his work until the day of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That phrase, the day of Jesus Christ, is used three times in this letter to the Philippians. It's used here in verse 6. It's used later in verse 10 where he says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And then it's used again over in chapter 2, verse 16, where Paul says, holding fast, I want you to be holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. 
If you compare the various uses, uh, uses of this phrase in the New Testament, you will find that it has reference to the day believers in Jesus Christ will be glorified. So what Paul is saying back in chapter 1, verse 6 is this. He was confident that God would complete his work in the lives of the Philippians until they were glorified. The perseverance of the saints rests on the perseverance of God with the saints. And that truth gave Paul immense joy. So these were some of the things that gave Paul joy. This week we add the final item to the list from this text, and that is this. Paul experienced great joy in loving relationships with other believers of like precious faith and practice. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Now when you see the word heart here in verse 7, don't think of it, don't think of it in the way that we use the word heart. Paul is saying far more than the fact that he held these people dear. He did hold them dear. There's no doubt about that. He held them dear, but he is saying much more than that in this verse. The word heart refers to the entire inner man, the feelings, mind, and will, with the emphasis on the latter two, the mind and the will. So what Paul is saying is that they are in his mind and in his thoughts, and they occupy a consuming place in his life. And that's why he still prayed for them. Paul didn't just feel fond of these believers with a distant memory. They were still a part of his life. And that gave him joy. They were still partners with him with the same goal and priority in life. And that was to represent Jesus Christ in all they said and did. Look at this verse again, verse 7. Notice Paul's wording very closely. He refers to the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He doesn't refer to his personal defense, which was coming up in the near future as he wrote these words. He doesn't refer to his personal defense because the fate of his person was of the least concern to him. The fate of the gospel was everything to him. He didn't want the gospel to suffer in any way when he pleaded his case and set forth the facts at his trial. Notice that the gospel was Paul's concern, not his own personal situation. He didn't want his imprisonment to reflect poorly on the gospel, and neither did he want his defense to reflect poorly on the gospel. Paul was concerned about Christ's reputation and the reputation of Christ's message. That was the priority in his life. And he says here in verse 7, the Philippians had the same perspective on life, the same outlook. He says at the end of verse 7, You all are partakers with me of grace. They were partners with him with the same goal and priority in life. Now, beloved, this, this perspective forces us to stop and ask a question of ourselves. Is this our perspective on life? Really now, don't, don't pass this off. When you are in hard times, difficult times, conflict, 
uh, unjust situations, can you honestly say that the most important thing to you is Christ's reputation? Or is it your own situation? Paul and the Philippians both had the right perspective that Christ's reputation, Christ's message is most important. It's paramount. And this unique, common bond brought Paul joy. Again, I say we forfeit joy when we focus on ourselves, our own problems, our own concerns at the expense or to the neglect of our focus on the cause of Christ. No wonder Paul had joy. But he's still not done. Notice he says in verse 8, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That is a forceful phrase to express how strongly Paul felt for these believers. Paul wanted to dispel any doubts in their minds concerning how much he loved him. They couldn't see his heart. God could. So he appeals to God. He says to them, God is my witness how greatly I long for you all. One commentator I read said this phrase, God is my witness, is an expression of Paul's inability to express his feelings. He just can't put it into words. So he says, God is my witness. Paul is saying, basically, I can't describe to you how greatly I long for you all. I can't put it into words, so I appeal to the omniscience of God and his witness. Then he tells them the source of his great love for them. He says here in verse 8, it was the affection of Jesus Christ. The deep love Paul had for these believers wasn't mere human affection. Paul didn't just drum this up on his own. This was God-given. This was supernatural. It was fed by the eternal spring of the love of Jesus Christ. And Paul felt it deeply, profoundly. You know, we often talk about David being a man after God's own heart, and he was. Scripture says that. But so was Paul. His heart beat after the same things God's heart beats after. He was moved by the same things that move the heart of God. To say it another way, Paul felt the heartbeat of God. He loved the Philippians with the love of Christ. It's interesting to note the term he uses here in verse 8. The literal translation of this verse is, I yearn for you all with the bowels of Jesus Christ. That sounds strange to us. The word bowels is a Greek term that refers to the upper intestines, the heart, the liver, and the lungs. The Hebrews saw those things as the seat of the emotions and the seat of our affections. And you know what? They were right. It may sound strange to us, but they were right. Think about it, beloved. When you feel something strongly, you feel it in your bowels. For example, you get butterflies in your stomach when you're excited or when you're nervous. You get an upset stomach when you're disturbed. When you get really emotional, it affects your lungs by making you short of breath. Deep feelings and emotions affect the midsection. 
In our culture, when we want to express something strongly, we say, I love you with all my heart. But the Hebrews would say, I love you with all my bowels. The next time you write a card to your sweetheart, try out that line. I love you with all my bowels. That may not sound very special to us, but it was in Paul's day. They saw the bowels or the stomach as the seat of emotions. Let me illustrate this further uh, from the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 5. Turn back into Hebrew Scripture. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Now, I know some of you are racing to get there to Song of Solomon because you are familiar with this, this letter and, or this book of the Bible. And first, or in verse, or chapter 5, verse 4, gives us an illustration of what we're talking about. Chapter 5, verse 4. This is actually a love story, the only book in the Bible devoted to Love and romance, marriage, sexuality, it's the the book of Song of Solomon. And at the end of chapter 4, this couple is married. They express their love to one another physically in the early verses of chapter 5. And then we read in verse 4, My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. Here's literal Hebrew. My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my bowels yearned for him. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's in the Bible? Yes, because the Hebrews referred to the emotions as the bowels. So if you can't control your emotions, then in Hebrew terminology, your bowels are running wild. And you don't want to be like that. Now let's hurry over to 1 John chapter 3, because we don't want to malinger too long on that point. 1 John chapter 3, over near the end of the New Testament, we have these little letters from John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Again, this almost all of our English translations go with the word heart or affections or something like that. But literally it is this. Whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his bowels from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So again, it illustrates the point that the Hebrews, Jewish people, saw the bowels or the stomach as the seat of the emotions. Now back to Philippians 1 and Maybe as we read verse 8 again with a a literal rendering, it has more meaning to us with that in mind. So what Paul literally says in chapter 1, verse 8, God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the bowels of Jesus Christ. That is a very direct way of saying Paul loved these people deeply. And his, his loving relationships with these believers of like precious faith and practice, gave Paul a special joy. Many commentators have suggested that Paul was closer to this church than any other church with which he worked. And as you study this letter in comparison with other letters of Paul in the New Testament, I believe the evidence backs up that assertion. Now we know that Paul had a tremendous capacity to love. He even loved those who didn't reciprocate his love, like the Corinthians. 
Even though Paul loved the church so sincerely, it seems like his love was continually doubted and questioned due to the strong nature of his message at times. Let me show you this. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Back to the left after Acts and Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says to the church at Corinth, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. We know from reading 1 and 2 Corinthians that these people accused Paul of being unloving because of the strong words he used at times. So when he is forced to rebuke them in the opening chapters here of 1 Corinthians, he wants to make sure that, his, that they realize that his motive is love. He says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the very next letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which, which, which I have so abundantly for you. Here again, we see Paul hinting at the fact that his love for the Corinthians was being questioned. You can't imagine how this hurt Paul. You can't imagine. When a man has the sensitivity and the capacity to love like Paul loved, then the hurt is far deeper when when that love is questioned or doubted. Paul loved the church. He loved the people of God even when they didn't reciprocate his love. Look at chapter 6 of this same letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Paul says, Oh, Corinthians, and feel the emotion of that. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. In other words, we've been transparent. We've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us. The, the implications they were saying, well, we, you know, we can't have a relationship with Paul because he's, he's, you know, he holds his cards too close to his chest. He's, he never opens up. No, no. You're not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own emotions. Now, in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. Paul appeals to them to reciprocate his love. Look at chapter 7 of this same letter. Chapter 7, verse 2, he says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Again, Paul is basically appealing to them to reciprocate his love. And then look at what he says in chapter 11. Just a few chapters later. Chapter 11, verse 22. The Corinthians had basically forced him, backed him into a corner and forced him to defend his apostleship. And so he does so, beginning in verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. In other words, it's foolish for me to have to speak this way to defend myself, 
to set forth my credentials. It's utterly foolish. I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often from the Jews. Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Now watch this shift in the text. Besides the other things, or in addition to these things, what comes upon me daily, namely my deep concern for all the churches. All the pain Paul suffered paled in comparison to his burden for the church. And when he said this, he wasn't referring to an obligation to go to a bunch of committee meetings. It had nothing to do with that. His concern and burden was for the spiritual life of the people in the church. The God-given capacity of Paul to have that much love for so many different churches and to carry around that much concern and that much of a burden is impossible to comprehend. We can't fathom this. It's mind-boggling. Paul was concerned for the people of God because he loved them so deeply. Those of you who are parents can relate to this. You carry around a concern for the spiritual well-being of your children, no matter how old they are, no matter how they're doing, whether they're doing well spiritually or not doing well spiritually, you carry around a concern for the spiritual well-being of your children. Multiply that by several hundred times and you can see Paul's heart. Look at chapter 12, very next chapter. Paul says in verse 15, He says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And then this terrifically sad statement. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Paul wasn't having a pity party when he wrote that. He was just stating the facts. That was the truth. These people did not treat Paul the way they should have. But he loved them anyway. Paul loved those who did not reciprocate his love. He even loved those he'd never met, if you can imagine that. He loved people, he loved churches he'd never met. Let me show you this in Colossians chapter 2. Go from 2 Corinthians past to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verse 1, he says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you, that is, the church in Colossae, and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying, I've never been to Colossae to see the church there. I've never been to Laodicea, but I want you to know what a great conflict or what a great Uh, struggle I have in my heart, what a great burden I carry for you. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. 
Paul had such a love for the church, not the institution or the denomination or the organization, but for the people. Paul loved the people. He gave his life for the people because he saw them as Christ's body. His love for the church came from his deep love for Jesus. Paul just loved what Jesus loves. And since Jesus' love for the church is so immense, so was Paul's. Paul had had a passionate love for the church, even for those he'd never met, as verse 1 indicates. I pray that God would give us that kind of love for his church. Now back to our text in Philippians 1, the letter just prior to this one. So Paul had a tremendous capacity to love those who didn't treat him right. And he even loved those whom he'd never met. But, watch this, he was human. He had feelings. He wasn't a robot. He wasn't a machine. So even though he loved those who didn't treat him right, and even though he loved those he'd never met, He possessed a unique love for the Philippians because of their reciprocation of love. Paul was human with human emotions. He could love people with the love of Christ, and he did, and so should we. But you can't deny the fact that loving relationships with lovable people contribute to a unique kind of joy. I hope you don't consider it unspiritual to believe that because the evidence in the New Testament points to this fact. Let me explain. I've often wondered why the book of Philippians overflows with the theme of joy. Sixteen times in four little chapters, joy, rejoice, rejoicing is used. Why? Why not Romans? Why not Ephesians? Why not Colossians? Did Paul love those people? Yes, he did immensely. Then what's the difference? Here's the difference. The Philippians reciprocated Paul's love more than any other group of people in the New Testament, and that strengthened the bond between them. That's why he said in chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And why he says in verse 7, Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul loved people with the love of Christ even when they didn't deserve it. But you can't deny the fact that loving relationships with lovable and loving people contribute to a unique kind of joy. There was a special bond and relationship with the Philippians because they loved him too and demonstrated it by being there for him. They stood by him through the years with their prayers and support. They didn't turn on him when he was imprisoned. Evidently some did according to the later verses of this chapter. But the Philippians stood by him. They demonstrated their love to him. They sent Epaphroditus to bring him a gift and to minister to him. We find that out over in chapter 2. And when he was in Thessalonica for only three weeks, these believers took two offerings and sent, sent them to him. 
So their expressions of love strengthened the love bond that was already there. And he loved these people in a unique way. Notice how he referred to them over in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. The word translated longed-for here in verse 1 means to strain or reach for something. It was a word used for an athlete stretching for the finishing line. Paul yearned for these believers. He loved them with the agape love of Christ, but I also believe that he loved them with the phileo, deep friendship kind of love because they were lovable in that way. Frankly and sadly, some people just aren't lovable in that kind of way. They won't let you love them that way, but the Philippians were unique in this sense. You even see evidence for this in chapter 2. Notice at the end of chapter 2, remember they sent Epaphroditus all the way from Philippi to Rome to bring Paul a gift and to minister to him. When he got there, he got sick and almost died. And we read in chapter 2, verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. In other words, Paul says, I'm sending him back. My brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, I'm sending him because he was longing for you all. Oh, poor guy, was he homesick? No, that wasn't the problem. It's not that he got away from Philippi and got homesick. No, he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. He was the messenger from the church at Philippi to Rome. He got sick, almost died. Somehow he hears that they heard about it and he feels badly because he knows they'll feel badly for sending him. Can you believe this? I mean, what a great guy. What a great group of people. Everybody's just thinking about everyone else instead of themselves. Epaphroditus was distressed because his friends heard he was sick and he didn't want them worrying about it, so he wanted to get back as quickly as possible. This was, a, this was a unique group of people, even in the New Testament. And Paul's loving relationship with these special people produced an unusual joy that isn't even seen in Paul's other letters. Beloved, I hope you have people in your life like these people. I feel sorry for you if you don't because of what you're missing. One of the great joys of my life is relationships with people like the Philippians, and many of them are right here in this church. There are some believers that you just can't help loving. They are so thoughtful, so sincere, so humble, so genuine, so tender and responsive to the Lord. They're a joy to be around doesn't take effort to love them. They're a joy to think about. They're easy to love. That's not to say we shouldn't love everybody because we should. But loving relationships with people like these people produce a special and unique kind of joy. By the way, that's the reason, one of the reasons why I come down so hard on people in the church who complain and show ingratitude. That destroys the atmosphere needed for these kinds of loving relationships. It destroys the, 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 the atmosphere that is needed for these kinds of relationships to develop in. And that in turn robs people of the unique joy that comes from those special loving relationships. 
That's deadly. That is deadly. And it must be dealt with strongly in the church. It's imperative to deal with wrong attitudes as severely as wrong actions. And ingratitude is one of the highest on the list. What a heinous sin. It's the poisonous pus that oozes from a heart that is full of self-love. Let me say that again. Ingratitude is the poisonous pus that oozes from the heart that is full of self-love. And that is deadly to joy. It's deadly to joy within a family and it's deadly to joy within a church. And unfortunately, some people in the church are infected with that poison. Even in the New Testament time, the church at Philippi is the only church with which Paul had this kind of uniquely joyful and loving relationship. Now, he loved all the churches. Don't don't misunderstand. He loved all the churches, loved all the people in those churches. But there was something special about these people that caused his joy to overflow on every page of this letter time and time again. The writer of Hebrews spoke to this issue in Hebrews 13, 17 when he said, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Let me tell you, Paul's relationship with the Philippians didn't cause him grief. No grief in this relationship. It produced a special kind of of joy. If you don't have these kinds of relationships with at least some people, then I urge you to do some evaluating. Maybe it's because you're not the kind of person with whom it's easy to be close. Now, I don't, I don't say that in a condemning way. I say that as a challenge for all of us to open ourselves up before the probing Spirit of God that he might show us how we need to change in order to become the kind of people that will contribute to people's joy. Like the Philippians contributed to Paul's joy and Paul contributed to their joy. And you know the sad part about this challenge? Experience has shown me that those who need to heed this challenge the most will probably be the least open and the least responsive. It's, it's why they just continue to have problems in relationships and why they don't have these kinds of relationships. I pray you won't do that. Hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to our hearts this morning. Let's bow together as we close. And as you bow your head, Close your eyes. As I mentioned just a moment ago, I I do encourage you, as well as my own heart, encourage you to open yourself up before the probing Spirit of God and ask Him, Lord, where are there things in my life that are hindrances to the kinds of relationships I ought to have? Where are there blind spots in my life in my heart, in my attitudes, 
that keep me from having the kinds of relationships that we see right here in the book of Philippians, the kind of relationship that Paul had with the Philippians and the Philippians had with Paul. It's so important that we're willing to look in the mirror honestly to see what the Spirit of God would want us to see. If you're here today without a relationship to Jesus Christ, then you will, you will never have the kind of close relationships with other Christians that we've seen this morning because you're not in the family of God. So the need in your life, in your heart, is to acknowledge that, admit that, humble yourself in your heart before God. Repent of your sin, let go of whatever might be holding you back, and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And if you will surrender your life to Christ, He will forgive your sin and He will begin a process of changing you. And as that process goes on and we allow it to go on and pursue it ourselves, He makes us more like Himself. And that certainly contributes to the kind of relationships the Lord would want us to have. So, Father, as we close this morning, we do so with, with joy. It brings us joy to, to look back, to see this, this special and unique relationship that Paul shared with the Philippians, how he loved them, how they loved him. And we, we've seen from various passages the immensity of Paul's love, his love for those who didn't love in return, his love for those he'd never even met but what a special bond existed between him and the Philippians. And we've seen just a glimpse of why that was the case. Help us to be men and women like Paul, like these believers in Philippi. People who are not fixated and focused on ourselves and our own problems, as severe as they may be, but who are thoughtful of others, considerate of others, pray for others, May we be like your son, Jesus Christ. And so as we close, we pray for anyone who is with us this morning, who does not know him, who has not surrendered to him. May your Holy Spirit use something that was said, sung, whatever that was read. May your Spirit use that to bring that man, woman, or young person to faith in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.